You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to The Authenticity Show wherever you get your podcasts. And connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, check out our YouTube channel, and tell your friends about the show. This will help us, and that came with a please and a thank you. This episode is about conflict. We all have conflict in our lives. I do. Carlos and Satch do. And there's some really practical advice in here about how to deal with conflict, including a discussion about the difference between empathy and compassion, which turns out to be fascinating. Here we go. Well, here we are. Satch, good evening. Good evening. Good evening. According to Oliver, all of our problems have been solved. We've worked out the mic issues. The the uh, technical difficulties have been transformed. They have. Yeah. And we should have a transformative conversation about transforming problems into solutions. I agree with that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, the... The mic wires are all magically working. Electrons are flowing. I think this conversation's about to flow as well. Oliver's good at making magic, isn't he? He is. My secret is I just let Oliver handle things, and then it magically works out. And I, I can see him in a wizard hat. Let go, let Oliver. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> the guy's amazing, you know? And, and the, the rest of the you know listeners don't get to hear him as often as we do. That's so, true. And, you know, he's... They just, they just hear his beautiful music and, you know, his little chirps when he chirps in and does the music nerd editions. Those, those are cool. That's different. Mm-hmm. But. Yes, indeed. So what's, what's the big hot topic on your mind? What's, what's something that uh, needs to be discussed tonight? You know, I've been meaning to get into it with you, mano a mano, mm-hmm. talking about conflict resolution. All right. Okay. Should we arm wrestle over it? Yeah, we should. Or start actually, first? I would prefer thumb wrestling because I'm wrestling. a fucking master at that. Are you really? You're good at thumb wrestling? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty good at thumb wrestling. It's very rare yeah. that someone beats me at that. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not like, you know, a contender or anything, but, hmm. you know, I, I could like dominate the junior ranks. Nice. With, with thumb wrestling. Nice. So it's cool. Actual arm wrestling, not so much. Yeah. Okay. For me. But. Okay. Yeah. But thumb wrestling, I'm a champ. Yeah. It's cool. It's great. You know, um, oh gosh, you know, uh, forces meeting forces. Yeah. And sometimes there's this idea that one force is supposed to win over another force. And, you know, this entire universe is about things colliding and smashing and banging. And one thing that happens when two forces meet each other is it changes both of their trajectories. Indeed. Um, whether both intended or didn't, they're now going in a slightly different direction or maybe a drastically different direction from the direction that they thought they were going to be going before the clash. That's true. And, and you just said it there a moment ago as well when you mentioned the word winning. Because from my perspective, if you're not looking for a win-win, there's already a problem. Because... The whole idea of winning often includes the idea of losing. That somebody's got to be a loser and somebody's got to be a winner. And this brings to mind a lot of other ideas like being right. Uh, that makes the other person wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there are, these are like what we might call presuppositions that, that you go into it or pre-frames that you might go into it that could really prevent you from seeing... Um, a way through the difficulty. Yeah. And I, I don't consider what we're about to say tonight as uh, the be all and end all, but I think it's a good start. I have an idea of what we're going to talk about tonight. And and I'm sure you're going to have a lot of really wonderful insights in your own life too. And I'm hoping that through this conversation today, like I'm holding an intention that through this conversation, we can get even more clear in ourselves about what that is and find out uh, if there's, if there's a, a pathway through the dark forest and the twisted pathways called conflict and arguing. Is there a way through that that might be repeatable? Yeah. 
Sure. Let's, 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 let's unbury that. Yeah. Um, I liked what you said about implying the opposite of the thing you're thinking of, like winning versus mm-hmm. losing, you know, there are other ways of seeing it. One of the things that I've thought about before is not to look at things as winning or losing, but just passing torches, sort of like the seasons. The seasons aren't competing for each other, although we could use that model and say that, um, you know, the two warm seasons are competing with the two cool seasons to see who wins. But we kind of instinctively understand that that's really not quite the right way to look at that. You know, we, we, we don't want to say that daytime beats nighttime in the morning and then nighttime beats daytime in the evening. Oh, although it is kind of poetic. It is. It is kind of cool. And, and you know, it, it can be looked at that way. And there is a time and place to do that. But this is an episode about conflict, about clashing. And it's good to remember that sometimes things are just cycles. Sometimes it's time for one thing to give way to the next thing. And something that I'd like to see happen, you know, as, as we keep this discussion going, is this idea of what is the next natural thing that is going to happen? If it's this season, what is the next natural season to occur? Right. And there is kind of a way, there is a natural way in which two people that believe that they're in conflict, um, that those, those two people or two groups or two nations, <laughs> you know, can, um, buy into, which is that there is a next natural step in the order of this. And if you trust that that's coming, you can absolutely get there and you'll get there smoother and easier and more in a more enjoyable way. In referencing uh, seasons and cycles and the whole idea of romanticizing or poeticizing conflict, the shift from summer to winter and back to summer to winter and over and over again, that has been depicted as the Oak King overthrowing the Holly King. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so each season, the new King unseats the previous King, Oak King, Holly King, Oak King, Holly King, over and over again. Mm -hmm. It's a way of explaining it, right? Yeah. But why is this so important? I mean, isn't, isn't it true that uh, you can go your entire life and you'll never be free 100% from conflict. It'll always be there. Some kind of conflict will always be there. Whether it's hunger, whether it's old age, an injured knee, a disgruntled brother or sister, um, you know, a husband or wife, uh, a boss or an employee, um, somebody standing in line, a person on the freeway. Yeah. Whatever it may be, internal or external, conflicts are just a thing about being human. Yeah, they sure are. And I like what you just said there, internal or external. Even when nobody's <laughs> around you, don't worry. You'll find conflict in yourself, oh, right? Yeah. So, so have no fear. Um, I can always argue with my own self. Right, isn't that convenient? You know, it's, it's, it's just funny how it is. And it, for me, as a lot of things we talk about, it always comes back to yin and yang. There's always lessons to be learned from from that beautiful doctrine of yin and yang, that if there's me and another, then we can both represent yin and yang. And one of the laws of yin and yang is the opposition of yin and yang. If yin and yang... Tiger and dragon in conflict. Exactly. There's going to be opposing forces. But that's not the only law of yin and yang. Yin and yang has opposition, but yin and yang also has intertransmutation. And yin and yang has the law where they define each other, you know, they have the law where they complement each other, you know, so it's, it's not always just two opposing ideas clashing, you know, when two people have, have conflict, but they're also defining each other. They're also about to transform into one another. Mm. And I think that's a, a beautiful thing that's, that's worth exploring too with conflict is that conflicts are going to transform into one another. For sure. Um, opposing things can actually support one another, as in a dynamo. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Or um, I was using this example a little bit earlier, uh, the idea of an umbrella. You know, it has rigidity mm-hmm. and flexibility. And without the rigidity, 
it doesn't serve a purpose mm -hmm. because it's just a bunch of floppy, you know, yeah. material. It doesn't actually protect. Yeah. But when you have the rigid spines that are inflexible, uh -huh. uh, it makes the perfect material with which to stretch the flexible material over, in which case you get the umbrella. Yeah. And you, you protect yourself and it's very useful that way. Right. Many things are like that. Yeah. yeah that's so true. why can't like we that. just as human beings uh, get more comfortable with the idea that conflict is not something to be avoided, but something to be worked with, transformed and played with? Yeah, so that's that's a that's the toughest question right there. Why why do we handle it the way that we handle it? Because there are plenty of conflicts that we don't handle that way. We just don't usually pay attention to those. But we're doing it all the time. Like what? Well, like for example, suppose I have a thought that I'd love to kill this person. <laughs> right? But then my body doesn't actually get up and kill the person. Right? So that was a conflict that was pretty much resolved, right? Because mm. if my body did everything that my mind wanted to do, I'd be in all kinds of trouble. It'd be a hot mess around my life, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things that I want to do that I can't do. I don't feel like getting up and brushing my teeth, but then I get up and do it. But then you get up and do it, right? So the thing is, is our bodies can sometimes be a wonderful example of how we can just ignore certain thoughts and impulses, Right. That's true. You can. You can. And yeah. it's a good reminder because very often I hear the, I can't in reference to, I can't do this. I can't stand this. Uh, or I'm not someone who handles conflict well, or, you know, something a little different. I know conflict scares me. I'm afraid of it. Yes. Uh, I can't be in conflict with you, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to, a softer, softer version of that. You know, I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to be in conflict with you. I don't want you to confront me. Mm. I don't like being confronted. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm not confrontational, identity statements, right? So you, yeah. no matter which way this plays out, yeah. um, whichever form, it's all versions of the same thing. It's in a sense, it's an inner conflict about mm -hmm. conflict. Yeah, it you're is. resisting yourself. You're resisting the idea. You're resisting yeah. the other person. You're resisting a transformation, and you're resisting a healing. Totally, potentially. That's, that's a great way to say it. And and I think this is a good opportunity to just stop for a second and just sort of tackle this one thing that already is popping up in some people's minds as as they're hearing you say all these these things is um, that idea of well, yeah, but you know. You know, I, I can't just, I can't just let somebody yell at me. I can't just, you know, um, let this guy cut me off. I can't just go to work every day and deal with X, Y, or Z. You know what I mean? And so I think what we're trying to say here is... What if you is, could? Yeah, exactly. What, what, what if you did? Because we usually do most of the time. Yeah. And, and there's a lesson to be learned from our body in that. Well, yeah. And the way we filter information makes a very big difference in the way we perceive that. Uh, when we're looking for the examples of where we do it, we're looking for sameness. And when we're finding the exceptions, uh, we're looking for difference. But yeah. when we take an idea um, and we use a universal quantifier, we say, this is always happening. Or at least we're um, maybe not even saying it externally, but thinking mm -hmm. that this isn't always, you know, I'm always having this experience. It's not mm -hmm. necessarily true and probably isn't. Universal mm. quantifiers are linguistic examples of when someone says something is always, never, right? Yeah. Uh, you're yeah. saying it's universally applied in all cases, but it really isn't. When you scrutinize a thought, it really isn't true. That uh, you can handle conflict, you do it every day. Uh, it's a question of, in this particular case, where's the resistance coming from? And mm. is that resistance truly serving you? And if so, what part of you is it serving? Is it serving... Uh, a part of you that is bringing you to greater wholeness and uh, fulfillment and abundance and greater skills? Is it fulfilling and supporting a part of you that is resistant to growth? Mm. And if you're resistant to growth, what are you actually resisting there? That's another conflict to resolve. Yes, yes, yeah.
So this idea that conflict exists is very much a mental phenomenon, right? It's, it's because we put a label on it. It's non-acceptance. Yeah, it is. It's non-acceptance. So if I were to pick up some weights and begin weightlifting, um, I, my, you know, my body is coming in conflict with forces and I'm pushing against these forces and those forces are pushing against me and I'm doing it on purpose and I call that a good workout. Right. And that's just the external forces. There's the internal forces of, can I do this? Do I believe in myself? Do I want this? How badly do I want it? What's in the way? Right. Internal and external again. So <laughs> right. It just keeps coming back on itself. Or, or it's like, I know I need to go in there and come in conflict with my, my weights and my pull-up bar. But I can't even get off the couch because I don't want to go exert that energy. And so there's the internal conflict. There's that word can't. Yeah, exactly. But then the body has this way of getting up and doing it anyway. And there you go. The which, means that you, which means that you can. Well, you can do it. Yeah, which, which you can do. It. And we do it all the time. And I don't think we claim enough credit. No, we don't. And what if we could proceed in an unfettered way about all the conflicts? Perhaps a lofty idea in this discussion, but, but what if it wasn't? Yeah. What if we could literally... Um, shift our thinking to such an extent that each conflict that would come up, we would take off the resistance, lose the tension, and yeah. simply trust, accept, allow, move. We would just do what was necessary, wouldn't mm -hmm. we? Yeah. Um, and yeah. I'm not claiming that I've reached this, but sure. I do appreciate the idea a lot. And I think when we when we start there, when we start with an appreciation of what we're intending, when we start with an appreciation of also accepting where we're at, I think we can shift where we're at more towards what we're intending to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I fully agree. And what you just described kind of sparked this idea too that if you are somebody who wants to become, oh, we got to be so careful here with how, how we, we choose words. If we want to become somebody who is good at resolving conflict or good at dealing with conflict. Skilled. Yeah, skilled at it. Then we also have to recognize that there is also a time when it's good to avoid conflict. Right. This does not mean that, that when you become skilled at dealing with conflict, that you're always going to be in conflicts. Because that could scare a lot of people off. Well, I hate conflict. Why would I want to get good at conflict? Because then I'd have to deal with conflict all the time. Right. So it's a wonderful way. It's a wonderful strategy for avoiding learning this. You just simply project into the future something like that, like you just said, and then you'll never deal with it. That's a wonderful way to avoid it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's <laughs> so great. So you just resolve the inner conflict that you had about conflict. But did you really? Because life is still going to present you with a conflict. You can't avoid it. Yeah, I mean, this is why exactly. you know, we study Buddhism, Four Noble Truths, and all this kind of stuff. Life is suffering, etc. Exactly. Um, there's other versions of that. Yeah. But we all know that life is life. Doesn't play favorites. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it goes uh, in a way that we love, and sometimes it goes um, in a way that's uh, far from that. Yeah. Um, and in those moments where there's contrast, how do we handle that? That is really what we're referring to in this moment, yeah. and we can tap into our feelings, uh, even right now, it doesn't require being a meditation master or a conflict resolution specialist or any of that. You can always ask yourself, am I feeling like I'm contracting? Am I feeling mm. like I'm expanding? I like that. Do I feel like I'm being still? What's happening? At least three different positions. There may be more, but there's mm. at least three different positions in recognizing uh, the sensation, right? Yeah. Um, you could say... Um, is this enhancing? Is this non-enhancing? Mm. Do I feel neutral about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To is it neither enhancing nor enhancing? Right. <laughs> to, to, to take a Buddhist approach. Is this pleasant? Is this unpleasant? Or is this neither? Yeah. <laughs> and you just accept that it's either pleasant or unpleasant or neither. And that's it. Yeah. And what if there were a fourth position? Yeah, of it being both uh, enhancing and non-enhancing. Now we're talking about, you know, this ancient Indian idea of the tetralemma, which that's really a Greek word. I don't recall what the original Sanskrit word is for it. Um, 
but when it was adopted by the Greeks, they called it the tetralemma. And um, it's something that's used in change work circles uh, and philosophy and logic and uh, also in things like uh, systemic constellations work. Hmm. Uh, but it's a way of considering um, affirmation, negation. Those are the two major ones, affirmation and neg negation. And then there's uh, both affirmation and negation and neither affirmation nor negation. Uh -huh. And you consider these different positions. Uh, I'm right, you're wrong, you're wrong, I'm right. We're both right, neither one of us is right. That's great, you know? I love that, that's fantastic. It creates flexibility in thinking and, and it's a logical yeah. progression it's a, or it's a logical um, process that you could do easily, like, like just even considering um, whether something's good for you. Yeah, yeah. You know? Why would you do it? Well, because in considering that something's good for you, it presupposes that there's only that option. It's either good for you or bad for you. But what if it were there were two other options? And what if by getting into these different um, relationships with the, the question, it could stimulate you utilizing more of your sense of self, more of your intellect? If it could bring more to bear on the question, then you might have perspectives that could be uh, very useful from that, right? So that's why you might do that. And you can easily do this. You can, you can set up a space in front of you and just decide. You maybe you can use marker pens or post-it notes or whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. But you just create four positions. You state your question clearly in that way. Um, and then you can step into each one of these four quadrants and then step out into a meta position and ask yourself, you know, what have I understood from these different positions? And you can go back in, ask yourself again in each one of these positions and say, you know, what else needs to be explored about this? You know, is this true? Is this untrue? Is it neither true nor, nor true? true? Neither true nor untrue, or is it both true and untrue at the same time? You know, am I this? Am I not this? Am I both this? Both both of these things, or am I neither of these things? I love this. this yeah, it's just, it's a flexibility of thinking, right? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that that's great because I'm I'm getting this image of if people are playing a particular sport. Let's let's say they're playing baseball. Um, you're either following the rules, or you're breaking the rules, or some combination thereof, or you realize that wait a minute these rules don't apply to this game. You know what I mean? If, if, if we're going to play basketball, well, basketball rules don't apply to baseball, right? So sometimes it's helpful to even ask ourselves, are we even following the right paradigm to begin with? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, wait a minute, are we talking about baseball rules? Why are we doing that? We're playing basketball or vice versa or some other thing, or, mm -hmm. or maybe, maybe this isn't a time for rules, you know, and there's some flexibility in thinking around all that. Like there is. Yeah. Um, well, and a lot of conflict um, can be resolved um, by thinking about it through your headspace, uh, because it is your head head mind that that organizes data and it explores possibilities and it uh, forms strategies and uh, it understands logic. And then there's another element of it which is coming from the heart mind, which is simply understanding the underlying emotions, uh, checking in uh, with things like empathy versus compassion, mm -hmm. which we'll get into in a minute. Yeah. Um, but having a sense of your values, that's not really a headspace thing. That's a heart space thing. That's really getting clear on what's most important to you, what feels more important to you. Mm. You might have a rational set of reasons that you may have that may have come into it either before or after the feeling and that's a headspace thing but the heart is what really identifies what's important you so the, the whole uh joseph campbell you know follow your bliss thing you know yeah why does that pan out as 
uh, effective in people's lives is because if you truly follow your heart, if you ask yourself first, um, what does my heart know about this and what's most important to me? If you're looking for direction to solve a conflict about, you know, what path are you going to go on or whatever, it's so important to ask your heart first because it knows already what will make you happy and what won't. Yeah. Whereas your head can get involved and form reasoning that makes sense on paper. In other words, it's defensible and all that. But at the end of the day, you don't feel good about it. It's easy to confuse yourself in that way. So it's very important to have this communication, this free flow of communication between what your body and your consciousness is doing together because there's body consciousness and there's analytical consciousness. So we were talking about head and heart right now. Um, there are further things, you know, like your gut. Yeah. We've talked about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's a, that's a whole different categorization of, sure. of feeling urges and knowing when to act and knowing when there's danger and when there isn't, when you feel at peace, understanding your personal space, uh, feeling motivated to actually move and take that action right away. Yeah. That's a whole different thing. It's a shorter, more um, primitive, but very strong urge as well mm -hmm. is your gut. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all these things come into play with conflict resolution. Yeah. Again, internal or external. If you're dealing with people or group to group or internally uh, when you're feeling a conflict about a bad habit or uh, something you need to change about yourself internally. Mm. So listening to feelings can be sometimes way more important than all the semantics. Not to, to downplay the importance of semantics. You know, mm -hmm. well, you said, yeah, but then you said this, and that's, in, I'm not saying it's not important. It is, but at the end of the day, do you want to be happy? And if you're really seeking that, it'd be nice, it'd be wonderful <laughs> if human beings could sit down and say, hey, you know what? I don't have the ideas perfectly formed right now why this is the case, but here's what the feelings are about. And guess what? We're on an equal playing field. We both have feelings that matter. And one of the best things you can do when you're resolving a conflict with someone, if possible, is if both of you can hold that intention. Yeah. That it's not about right and wrong, because the moment we do that, the moment we think about ourselves being right, we're going to think about the other person being wrong, we won't be listening with our hearts. Mm -hmm. But if you start with that intention that our relationship matters... And we can yeah. talk about the semantics yeah. later, but right now our yeah. relationship is important. I care about yeah. the well-being and the health of our love, of our connection. Then what's really important is here is that we both feel safe to be able to share feelings. Mm -hmm. And if that ever deviates, to be able to keep coming back to the principle. Remember I was saying that heart holds the value. Mm -hmm. If you hold a, a very clear set of values around mm -hmm. how to handle that, how to not attack the other person, or if you've made the mistake of attacking that you could stop, that you could call each other and say, hey, wait a minute, let's yeah. not make this about right and wrong. Let's listen to each other. Let's hear each other out. Let's care about that. Mm -hmm. That's the beginning, I feel, of actually healing. Well said, Carlos. Um, as you were describing that, I realized that, um, I mean, because we've known each other for so long, I've seen you work from that place where um you keep trying to go back to heart space you know when, when you're dealing with conflict yeah that's always been my natural strategy too mm -hmm. um there's been plenty of conflict around me in my life um personally professionally all that um i think people that know me would say that you know i've tend to be good at finding common ground and and healing things over, you know, with, with, with folks. That's um, absolutely true. I've observed it. Yeah. Over years. Yeah. And, and for me, um, uh, it's because I'm always doing what you just described, mm -hmm. which is head, heart, and gut are all three very important when it comes to resolving conflict. Heart is the leader. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's the, the horse pulling the chariot. Yes. It you is. know, it, it's gotta, it's gotta be heart because now it's, no, I'm not saying this is easy to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Full and, disclosure, and, I fail at this oh, frequently. Me too. <laughs> me too. And 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 you know, well, let's remember there was a conflict to begin with, yeah. right? So, yeah. if 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 you've had a lot of um, successful healing with conflicts, 
it's humbling to remember that the conflict started to begin with, right? So yeah. that's usually when heart and gut jump in and start trying to move the chess pieces around. Right. You know, well, I'm, did I, what did I say? I'm going I'm to rewind that. Yeah, when heart and gut start moving the chess pieces around, that's often when the conflict can start to escalate. And when the heart can temper those two things and um, say, hey, let me lead and you two follow close behind, things start to fall in place. You know, that's when I start to see conflicts actually begin to resolve. One of the best ways to begin that healing is to listen from the heart, look from the heart, speak yeah. from the heart, is, is to do all that. And it's never too late. It's not. Because you'll find yourself in um, even a shouting match with somebody. Yeah, you just could be, start. You could both be crying and screaming at each other. Yes, <laughs> yes. You could have your hands around somebody's throat. It's never too late to stop and go, oh my, what the hell are we doing? Yes. This isn't what my chest wants. <laughs> you know? Because yeah. if you look at yourself, I've been in situations when... I observed myself saying something to a person or in a situation and there's that little, that little voice inside. If you, if you listen really carefully, you can hear that it's coming from the heart center. Mm -hmm. It says, what are you doing? Yeah. Why? You know, you shouldn't be saying that. <clears throat> Why are you doing that? You, you do know that by saying that, that this isn't going to be effective. The heart knows this. It already knows this. Um, and it's pretty patient. It'll let you make your mistakes. It'll let you <laughs> come at it from the wrong angle. You know what I mean? It, it, it'll, it'll do that. Um, but it's never, ever too late to come back to that spot and say, okay, let me try allowing you to lead for a little while. Heart space, heart center. You know, what's the best way to approach this? <clears throat> and usually when I do that, what I find is it starts to present itself to me and to the other person. And I can catch myself going, oh, I was trying to use my brain too much to solve this. And it just wasn't quite clicking. It wasn't quite clicking, you know, and it just doesn't take much, you know, that's why I think crying has um, evolved in, in the human experience. When something uh, affects us so much that we're angry, we're angry, then we break down and tears come out. It suddenly reminds everybody, well, it's, it, it often has that effect where it reminds everybody in the situation, um, hey, wait a minute, this person's hurt and it brings you back to heart center, right? Have you ever had that experience when, you know, you're angry, maybe you snap at somebody, even maybe it's a child, you know, or even if I snap at one of my pets, you know, God damn it, right? And then I see the child cry or I see the equivalent of what would be crying if my dog could cry. And I get that look from them and I go, oh man, I feel it punch me in the chest. Okay, that's a good spot to start. Now yeah. we can get going on this. That's empathy. That's empathy. Yeah. And what you do with that ultimately, and what mm -hmm. I've seen you do with that is compassion. So this is the big yeah. thing, right? Um, so many people use the word compassion, but they throw it around. Mm -hmm. They throw it around as if merely by saying the word compassion, it means they're being compassionate. Right, right. And I have no empathy for that at all. I have none whatsoever. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I try to have compassion about that. I'm working on it. I say try because I don't always succeed in it. I, I, I'm working on it. But uh, it's pet peeve. And pet peeves means um, I'm not fully understanding it. Mm, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have an opinion. And working on, on uh, being more flexible in that department. Yeah. Because I realize that everybody's doing the process in their own way as best they can with the uh, resources they believe that they have available to them. It's not easy to keep that mindset but it's something that I revisit frequently. I mean, mm. uh, these are principles that I, um, that I see in a lot of different places, but I, I've seen it consolidated in, in my uh, NLP training. And I like that because it reminds me to go back to it. You know, there, there are these key presuppositions, and one of them is everyone's doing the best they can with the resources they have available, right? 
Um, and people are not their behaviors. And, and there's so many different presuppositions that relate to this. But the point is, we can have our intention. And keeping that intention and coming back to that intention increases the likelihood that we're going to be able to achieve it. Because we start to invest time, energy, emotion to getting it. I want to be more compassionate. I want to have compassion. I want to transform empathy into compassion. Mm. But I do believe, this is a belief, that if you don't know the difference really clearly, it becomes easy to mistake one for the other. Yeah. And potentially not build the bridge that actually takes you there. Yeah. So yeah. getting clearer on what empathy is. Empathy is feeling what the other person's feeling, or at least believing that you're feeling what they're feeling. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think it's more important that, that the person believes that. They may not be right. A lot of empaths, empaths will say, uh, self-described empaths will say, you know, I can feel everybody's emotion, and I, uh, you know, I know how you're feeling, and I walk into a room, and, and I just can sense everyone there, and, and it's overwhelming, and they go into this, you know, drama mm -hmm. about it. It's mm -hmm. because they're not really at peace with it. They mm -hmm. like it though. Their ego loves the fact that um, they're frequently getting the sensation that they're feeling other people and they may be feeling yeah. something. Uh, I'm a self-described, uh, highly sensitive person, an empath. Uh, mm -hmm. And I know lots of people who are. And we can be awkward fucktards, yeah. honestly. Like, it's true. It's so true because our feelings overwhelm us. And it has taken a lot of discipline, training, practice, effort, uh, realization, a lot of uh, self-inquiry to observe yeah. why that was happening and yeah, to get yeah. better at not being an awkward fucktard and allowing the sensation of feelings to be sifted through in a more mature way. So empathy is feeling what another person's feeling. So if they fell down the, the, you know, the well, I have to then uh, sort of throw myself down the well and break my leg too. And now we're both fucked. Yeah. We're both down in the well. How am I helping that person? Right. Because here's, here's the thing. Next time I see someone fall down the well, what am I going to do? I'm probably going to go, oh, uh, you're going to be fine. It's, you're going to be fine. And, and you know, you'll get out of there eventually. And I'm going to walk the other way because I don't want to fall in the well again. That's right. So this is what happens with people who can be really cold, is that it's not that they're without feeling, they're not devoid of the, of the ability to empathize, mm -hmm. but they've trained themselves that that's dangerous, so they shouldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. And you get a lot of really cold behaviors coming from really sweet people. People who can be very sweet when they're, right. when, when everything's perfect, you know, they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're wonderful. Uh, and then the moment you have something to complain about or report about that's negative, it freaks them out. And it's because they have unmanaged empathy. Yes. And that's problematic. Yeah. We're talking about conflict resolution. Of course, many conflicts arise because a person doesn't feel understood on the other end. Maybe they shared something Correct. and then maybe they were being criticized or, or they were being given advice that they you know, had mm -hmm. not asked for. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we've said this before many times, it's one of my favorite sayings, compassion before solutions. Why? Yes. Because why the hell would they fucking listen to you if you don't even take the time to understand what they're doing? Exactly. You're not, you're not yeah. getting enough data and you're yeah. also not making sure that that person gets the sense that they're not alone. There's no, there's no rapport in that. Yeah. Um, just hurling or inflicting a solution on someone that hasn't been asked for. Maybe, maybe you're not correct. Maybe the solution you have yeah. for it works for you in your head, emphasis on head, mm -hmm. makes sense to you, but you never really asked your heart what is necessary here because it scares the shit out of you. Yeah. To yeah. check in with your heart when someone else is going through a bad time is scary to a person who's had the experience of falling in the well and breaking their ankle. Yes, yeah. So what's the difference? What is compassion? What do we understand about compassion? Compassion, as I understand it so far, and it's an evolving thing, involves understanding. What are you understanding? You're understanding more about human nature in general, chunked up. 
human beings have X happen to them. Human beings have these influences. Human beings often X, right? So the understanding that, you know, this could happen to me. It happens to people. It doesn't necessarily mean that person's a bad person that this happened. Uh, lots of people could have quote unquote reasons. Everyone believes that they have a reason for why they are the way they are. Everyone has reasons, quote unquote, for why they do what they do. They always do. Ask mm -hmm. anyone. Mm -hmm. Why did you do it? Oh, because. So they have a reason. <laughs> Some people might call it an excuse. It doesn't matter. Uh -huh. Let's call it reason for now. Yeah. Because they've reasoned it out. And bottom line, understanding involves knowing that about human nature. And it puts you in a different perspective when you look at that person as though they are filled with reasons for why they are the way they are and why they do what they do. So that's one piece is understanding. Mm. When you say someone's being understanding, usually they're non-judgmental. Usually they're accepting. They've created the sensation to people who come to them that there's a safe space there. They're not going to be judged, not going to be criticized for feeling what they feel or doing what they do or saying what they say. So there's that component. Then there's the element of, okay, let's use the, the falling in the well example. Hey, I see you. I see that you have fallen down in the well. Are you okay? What can I do? How may I help you? How can I support you in this situation? And they will pause and they will get centered and they will ask themselves the same questions. How can I be helpful here? Which is a form of recognizing that we're not truly separate from anyone, that there's a, a level of humanness that is connecting all of us. That's a form of higher love. It's not romantic love. It's not really attached love, but it's the kind of love that you would have for nature and for the human race and for all living things. It's, it's a form of uh, deeper spiritual love, maybe a philosophical altruism. It's a sense of connection. There's a lot of ways you could describe that, but it's from that uh, level of thinking, that level of experience that you ask yourself, how may I help this person? And you ask the other person, you little verbalize to that person, how can I be supportive of you right now? What do you really need? Are you okay? And so you would maybe toss the rope down and say, hey, look, um, I've got a rope here. I've tied it to a tree. Wrap the rope around your waist. Everything's going to be okay. I get that you're in pain, but help is on the way. I'm here for you. I don't need to change you. I don't need to force you to do it. I don't need to go down and pick you up and carry you. Although if I could, I would. I'm going to let you know how to help yourself. And I'm going to empower you. To me, this is compassionate thinking. This is compassionate actions. Mm -hmm. And there's a big difference between that and the empathy. Because the empathy, as one of my teachers, Michael Watson, often says, mm. it's overrated. Empathy is fucking overrated. People talk about it, but it's not that helpful unless you use it as a means to spark your compassion and compassionate behavior. Getting lost in empathy will just fuck you up. said well well said um empathy is tuning in and being able to hopefully accurately gather data from the other person it's a wonderful skill it's it's a thing that's worthy of developing you can develop empathy people yeah. you know it's not like some have it and some don't that's that's not that's not true some people maybe naturally have it and psychopaths have a hard time with it psychopaths have a hard time with it right <laughs> um uh, but empaths have a hard time from it. That's, that's true. That's true. Spoken from an empath's mouth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm an empath too. I know you yeah. are. And, and um, what I would say... And you're say, one of the most compassionate human beings I know. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. You know, I'm getting a lot of analogies in my mind about healthcare, <laughs> because it's me, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
But you could say that a thermometer has empathy. It has the ability to reach into somebody else and literally feel what their actual temperature is, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, so a thermometer is empathetic in a very physical sense, it is, okay? Yeah. Now, that empathy, that ability to go in and feel, gather information to measure the internal experience of another can be really good information that can help a situation. For sure. <clears throat> if that information is used properly. Agreed. Earlier you said um, compassion before solutions. If a doctor walks into the room and starts just trying different medications, the patient would say, well, don't you want to ask me what my symptoms are? <laughs> Did you even read my chart? Right. Nobody took my blood pressure. Nobody checked my temperature. You know, <laughs> nobody asked what, how my day was. I know. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, what's, you know, yeah. Um, you don't even know if I'm the patient. I might be the friend and the patient's in the bathroom. Yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> check my, check my name. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of information that needs to be gathered in uh, a therapeutic relationship and empathy is a wonderful way to gather information. And for all of those people out there that don't identify with being empaths, if you're somebody who doesn't naturally have that internal sense that somebody's feeling something, that's okay because you can develop it and you know you can still really help people. You can help the person who's fallen down the well even if you have trouble feeling what they're feeling. Because then you can use your mind. Yes. You can go ahead and use your mind and start, you know, problem solving and and don't worry, that will that will build those empathetic skills. Experience can build empathy, you know? Um for example, uh in in healthcare, it's really common for certain experts to work with particular populations of people that have certain disease conditions. Those people that have done that for many, many years always have empathy for those people in that particular disease population, more so than the average person, because they understand them better. Mm. Um, so it, it can be developed. Okay, but back to the analogy. Doctor walks in and starts dispensing medication without gathering data. That is giving solutions without compassion. That's actually giving solutions without even empathy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Right. Um, now, once you gather data, then you could effectively treat the person without any compassion at all. You could just, you could, you could, you could ignore the heart. You could go straight to the mind. Treat it like it's a logical problem. Right. This is, this is something that needs to be solved. This is a puzzle. Figured out. Right. You have a temperature of 103 and you have a cough and you have this and that and you have green phlegm and whatever it is that they have, right? <laughs> and diarrhea and okay, whatever it might be. And um, this is the solution I'm going to give you, right? And then that person can say, hey, that doctor really knows what they're doing, but they have terrible bedside manner and they made me feel shitty. They didn't, they weren't polite. They weren't nice. They weren't any of those things, right? So you can still effectively gather the data and offer a solution to the problem and solve a problem. But without the compassion, you could create another problem. And I think that's where we have to look at this idea of compassion in terms of conflict resolution, right? Because how often have we had that experience that we're trying our hardest to solve a conflict and we just create a new one? Yes. And then we create another one. Yes. And then uh, all I meant to say was that I understood. I didn't mean it that way. I didn't. And then, right. and then something else happens. And now you're arguing about the third topic for the evening rather than the original thing that got, this, got yes. the argument started, right? Okay. So um, this is flailing. This is, yeah, flailing. Just and like my arms right now. <laughs> leads to failing. Beautifully said. It flailing does. leads to to failing. It's true. Very often. Yeah. And that's the danger of when the mind alone tries to solve conflict. Um, when you get back to that heart center, boy, does it act as a stabilizing force in the situation. It's a shelter that you can hunker down in when the weather's really bad. And it can create stability and it can allow you or the other person or both people to take refuge for a little while 
from the chaos of the storm. And now you can access the power of the mind when you're Mm. in that state. And that's Mm -hmm. where the the compassion comes in. So the doctor comes in. um, If you're using empathy, empathy is, um, ah, and this cough is, is, looks pretty bad. Okay, great. Oh, and you're not feeling well. Oh my goodness. And I start to ask questions because my ability to reach out and feel what's going on with you is giving me data that's cluing my mind into asking other questions and we can quickly come down to the diagnosis. And that's what the empathy does. The compassion makes the person start to feel better before you've even given the solution because they just know you care. And there's some medicine in that. There's some medical value in the compassion, right? I'm going to give a specific example of this that happened in my own life. Many, many years ago, I don't know, this is probably a good 12, 13 years ago. My wife, Tanya, was having a terrible, terrible bout of um, vertigo. And this vertigo was so bad. By the way, folks, if you've ever had vertigo, you know what I'm talking about. If you've never had vertigo, it's when the room is spinning around you. And it's just a god-awful feeling, right? Imagine like you just spun and spun and spun and spun and spun and you stopped and you're still spinning in your mind and it won't go away. Now, because Tanya has multiple sclerosis, when she got bouts of vertigo, this was really serious neurologically based vertigo. I mean, this, this was bad Mm, stuff mm -hmm. to the point where she'd be sitting in a wheelchair. And if I even took the brakes off and backed her up and tried to turn her, she'd vomit. We're talking bad vertigo. This is bad. That's pretty strong. And so this is stuff that this had been going on for weeks. This had been going on. Yikes. And, uh, we had seen different doctors and finally we went in to go see, and I'm going to name him by name. He's, he's passed away. Dr. Stanley Vandenort. And anybody in. Sounds like a character from Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Stanley Vandenort was an amazing, wonderful doctor. He was a neurologist and he specialized in multiple sclerosis. Sweet guy. He was, he was the perfect combination of smarts, heart, guts, empathy, compassion, it was everything. So he was everything the opposite wanted. of Professor Snape's. Oh, oh, totally. He, Got he it. was he was he was incredible. So Dr. Vandenort finally was able to see Tanya and we went in to go see him. And I remember he had this way of speaking. And at the end of the appointment he goes, he goes, Oh my dear, yes, these these dizzy situations, they always seem like they're just gonna go on and on and on forever but they do eventually resolve. (laughs) And I saw her smile and I smiled because I remember thinking, here I am, I got medical training. I know a little something about what's going on, right? But this problem wasn't getting better, right? Because my head was not solving this problem. Yeah. And all it took was Dr. Vandenort to just say that. He had compassion. He knew this was a bad situation. He listened, but he listened from the right part of himself. He gave medications, he offered logical solutions, but the thing that made her better the quickest was when he said that last little bit right there. Yeah. And when we backed out of the room and started heading towards the car, she was already feeling better. She never had any medications. Well, she did eventually get the medications and she she improved, but something needed to happen. Something needed to dislodge some mental or emotional or spiritual blockage that was that was part of this dynamic miserable situation that she was having and me too i needed that to be unblocked for me because i was having a lot of compassion and a lot of empathy i was having a lot of empathy at that time but i wasn't solving the problem and i remember this story so clearly in my mind because it really affected the way I related to all of my patients and all of my clients and all of my students and teachers and friends and everybody Big from lesson. that point on. Yeah, it was a huge lesson because I realized what mattered the most when this person would vomit when we just turned her wheelchair a little bit, his confident compassion. Yeah, and, and an element of that was that he truly saw her in a way that, that, need, that she needed to be seen. Yes. In a particular way. Because obviously you see her mm-hmm. deeper than anyone. Exactly. But there was just a particular piece 
That's right. That he gave to her, but there was a particular piece in seeing her in that particular way, in that, that little narrow bandwidth that she needed, which was the doctor identifying and relating to what was going on. Yep. And there's that thing that we've discovered in change work and, and psychology and things like that, that when you put a label on things, sometimes that is helpful. And yet there's kind of a, mm, a pop psychology, uh, positivist kind of um, uh, misunderstanding, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, that if you say the problem, that somehow it's going to get worse. Like if you, if you speak it out, if you talk about it, it's going to get worse. It's going to deepen the problem. It's going to mm. attract, you yeah. know, magically attract worse things to you. Yeah. And it's just not true. It just isn't true. Yeah. yeah, Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's good to say what it is with the understanding that I mean, because think think about the the underlying presupposition in how you say it. If you believe that and you're afraid of it, what are you really saying? You're not as powerful. That's right. You're not powerful enough to be able. So if if you say it, the mere mention of it causes you fear because if you mention it, bad things are going to happen. All, that's so wrapped up in uh, limiting beliefs, it's not even funny. Yeah. And it really isn't totally, funny. Totally, totally. I was just going to mention that um, if I, you know, and, and th- this is the law of attraction gone wrong. Yes. Right? There, 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 there is the right way of doing law of attraction type stuff, right? For sure. You know, there's, there's a positive way for that. But like, like what you're saying, if, if you don't even want to talk about something because you don't want to attract more of it, okay, well, there's, there's a time and and space for that where you could do that but really the idea is if you're fearful of that then what are you already attracting exactly you've already begun to attract fear so you're what are doing you already it. spending your energy on holding yeah. a an unspoken shameful fear of something which yeah. is obviously way more powerful than anything else because look what you're experiencing right and if you're going to take some responsibility for being a creator in your life you have to acknowledge that yeah practice saying it without fear i'm going to practice talking about this thing without fear right I thought of an example in my own life where um, actually speaking it out made a difference by okay. a doctor and you, you stimulated a memory. Um, I don't know, God, it was a co- more than a couple decades ago. Uh, as you know, I suffered from uh, really intense depression and I didn't know that that's what was going on. Oh, okay. okay. And I went to go see my doctor and when I got to the room and he came in and I described what was going on as intelligent as I am about these kinds of things. I just didn't understand Mm. that that was going on. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, uh, you're experiencing depression. Now as a hypnotist, you know, one could say that was embedding an idea. Okay. Yeah. But that's not what I feel happened. You know, yes, you could say he anchored in, you know, he, he triggered and, and, and made this sort of yeah. uh, visceral response real. But what I, what I experienced was the moment he said that, all these tears came. Mm. And the following sensation from that, after the sadness and the tears came, I felt like I had let go a little bit and I felt understood. Mm. And I felt like something made sense finally. So it wasn't like anchoring in sadness when you touched me, because yeah. there is that element. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the mind element to it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's but the, the experience parts. really yeah. was more of um, now I know what this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like that doctor came at it from understanding and compassion. He and, did. and because he did, it didn't kind of didn't really matter that he put his hand on no. you. It didn't really matter. It, it was the, the the effect was going to be positive because yes. it was coming from the right place. And you know what? He gave me all sorts of free SSRIs, which I'm I'm not a big fan of, mm-hmm. as you know, mm-hmm. for my own reasons. But um, it was I feel genuinely coming from a place of wanting to help me. He knew that I I didn't have very much money mm-hmm. at the time, 
and he just wanted to help. So he gave me as much as he could. I mean, it was a whole bag filled, so I didn't have to go. And he gave me a prescription okay. as well to fill. Yeah. But he gave me as much free meds as he could. Yeah. And right. I felt like the only reason he did that was to help me. Yeah. And I eventually was able to conquer my depression uh, permanently. Okay. Uh, without drugs. Awesome. But, um, you know, and there were a variety of things that led to that. But, but I feel that, that that was a pivotal moment when I recognized, yeah, I have some big time healing to do. And it was a big deal. Mm. And there are oh. stages of healing. I mean, yeah. that was a conflict inside of me that I didn't even know I had. Yeah. And I had to begin the process of resolving that conflict. And I think that's, that's true when we have um, an internal or an external conflict. We have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. So wherever you are at is where you begin. And like you said, it's never too late. You can tell yourself a story that it's too late. Oh, well, you said yeah. that you don't want to talk to me anymore. Or you said something that really hurt my feelings. Or um, now that I've screwed up, there's no point because I've already screwed up. And, you know, might as well just right. do the time now. It's like, okay, yeah. you can tell yourself that kind of story, but that is not resolving the conflict what that's doing is avoiding yeah that's you're right that's an avoidance technique yes. yeah well it would have been fine and then you threw that pan and ever right. since you the time you threw that pan yeah. like Look. i would have you know yeah. connected with you lovingly but then you yeah know, it's well see because the thing is if you're if you're if you both get into a completely different state of mind then you're both going to laugh about that pan incident yeah so it really, it, that could, that's totally changeable. Yeah. That's yeah. about values. <clears throat> yeah. What is most important to you? Your mm. ego or mm. the relationship? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I'm realizing through this conversation, there are so many different elements of compassion. There's so many different elements of conflict, so many different elements of communication, listening, and so many other things that we could dive into I would like to suggest or propose that we take this as a theme okay. that we can explore perhaps even in our next episode. Yeah. And maybe okay. we could take this in parts because I think the, the idea of conflict resolution and just conflict in general, mm-hmm. uh, transforming conflicts, is such a big thing. It brings up so much that we can't possibly cover it in an hour. Yeah. There's yeah. no way. Yeah, if we I, did, I, it would I, just be not giving it, yeah. doing it any kind of service whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I'd love to beautiful. talk about elements of, you know, um, like I have some pet peeves that I'd love to share that I think are positive pet fee- peeves because yeah. how is it a positive pet peeve? It's a positive pet peeve because it causes me to bring up a very a much needed idea that people need to hear probably. Okay. You yeah. Know, oh, I, I I, whenever that. I mention I it, you know, people go, oh my God, you need to write about that or you should do that on your show or yeah. whatever. And there's I a lot of things that come up like that. It's, it's good also for us to talk about times when... Um, we blew it. You oh know, yeah. When, when we didn't, we didn't do well in conflict. Failure is feedback. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. There's there's a real danger in. Um, you know. I mean, we're we're behind microphones and we get to record this stuff and and there's there's a danger that people are out there thinking, oh well, anybody you hear through a speaker, they they have the answers. Like, no, we don't. We have answers. We don't have the answer. Mm-hmm. And and we can we can prove that. <laughs> we, maybe we'll do a whole episode proving that we don't have the answer. Evidence. Yeah, that's right. Evidence-based failure. Evidence-based failure is a new (laughs) thing. A new thing. EBF. Totally. (laughs) All right, my friend. Yeah. To be continued. To be continued. Until next time. Yeah. Great as always speaking with you. You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. My name is Oliver Altine. I produced the show, and I also wrote our theme song, which you're listening to right now. Please subscribe to The Authenticity Show if you haven't already done so, and connect with us on social media, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, check out our YouTube channel, and you can find our website at AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day.